about what to do while we were here, I thought, well, why not take and stuff something in? Stuff, that doesn't sound very good. Why not have something kind of on the side as well for the children to, that they will be able to get again from uh, while they're in church, not just from homeschooling or wherever they're getting their education, that uh, God is the creator of everything. So uh, last week we, uh, we looked at, we now know the answer, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which, when, when I thought about that, I thought, well, that is so stupid. I remember in biology class having that discussion Nobody raised their hand. The teacher never said anything about, well, if you just read your Bible, it tells you the chicken came first. I mean, but anyway, man, people are so slow to think through stuff. And it's, I don't know when it started, but it was going on in the 60s when I was in school. We never, we just absorbed it and just just listened to it all. So uh, when we get done with this, I'm good. <laughs> Getting the side. I don't. I don't have the mic, so I, well, I wasn't sure when you tell me to turn the mic on or what. Uh, anyway, uh, this morning we looked at uh, the exceeding magnificent temple that was being built by Solomon, and spent a good portion of our time talking about how the building of the temple is very similar to the building of a, of a Christian life when somebody gets saved. We spent a lot of time talking about the foundation, and again, I, I got here tonight, got to talking, so I still haven't measured out one of these walls to see how long that is. Uh, but again, the, 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 base, uh, the, the base rocks that they used for that were uh, 41 feet long, 15 feet wide, 11 and a half feet high, and weigh 600 tons. And we talked about how that they not only would carve them out, but they had the stone squares. Anybody remember how who I compared the stone squares today uh, to us in our Christian life? The, we, have, we have the foundation stone, but we have the stone squares so that everything will fit together. That's the pastors. That's our teachers. That's the, uh, the training that we get when we study our Bible, that uh, the people that come along, the parents of the children. That is your job as a, as a parent, and that we benefit from being grandparents, to be able to sit down with the children and do family devotions and to be able to instill some of these basics and things into their heart and into their life. So that I, I compared that to the stone squares, not just the, the folks that, that saw it off, saw it off. When we went, so we, I'll rabbit trail myself, but we never will get to the video. So we're in Israel and uh, we, we go to, there's several good museums. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, take it. Uh, it, it is the Bible in living color. It really your Bible does come alive because as you're reading about different stuff, you can picture it because you were, you were there. And uh, anyway, so they had a little short video, and I don't remember what, uh, what museum we were in there in Jerusalem that explained all this. Uh, but they, this was their idea, that they had this cartoon illustration of these guys uh, grinding holes into the rock. That'd be a challenge. And then they they get so many holes, and then they would take pieces of leather and stuff down in the rocks, and then they would pour the water on the leather so it would swell up and it would pop apart. They were 41 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 11 and a half feet deep. 
I'm, I'm thinking that somebody just made that up. They never really thought through that, nor did they read their Bible where it says that they sawed them. Anyway, I just, somebody there wasn't, wasn't thinking. But we talked about the importance of having a solid foundation. We talked about the word not to get scared off by the word doctrine. Doctrine just means, just means teaching. We looked at the five important doctrines of that. And uh, finished up with our foundation, the Bible doctrine, and the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ, and that should never change. Never. Your doctrine should never. If you're ever sitting into a church and uh, they start changing one of the, the Trinity, the person of Jesus Christ being fully man and fully God for all of eternity, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, the scriptures inerrant and sufficient for our Christian life, and the second coming of Christ. If you're ever sitting in a church that, that starts wandering off from that, it's time to go. Uh, if you may be a visitor, you, you just look at your wife or your husband and you say, we're not coming back here tonight. Those are the, that's the foundation. That is the, the very foundation of what our beliefs on what Jesus Christ established, what's uh, set up clear in the Old Testament and then brought forward in the New Testament. But the foundation, the Bible doctrine and chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ, and that shall never change. So the second thing we, uh, we talked about, we, I wandered all over for a long time, uh, explaining these big foundation stones, these precious stones that they used, and to me it was, was amazing in that they had, to, they had to roll them for at least 20 miles into Jerusalem and up to the top of the mount to be able to set them in place and then after all that work, after all that labor, 150,000 men involved in that, tonight we're going to look at what they did with them after they sent them. They covered them up. They, 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 they just hit them. Look here in, uh, let me see, in verse, chapter 5, verse 18. No, that's, that's not it. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 18. <clears throat> uh Starting in verse 17, in the house, that is the temple before it, was 40 cubits long, and the cedar of the house was within was carved with knops and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. That's where the, 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 uh, my thought came from. If we look at uh, just a, a couple of verses above that, it talks about that they used fir wood, they used cedar. To me, the wood that's covering over the foundation stone is very similar to to us in our regular walk in life. Wood is temporary. I mean, it, you can have houses, and I, I see a lot of them out here in New York, that will go back to 100, 120 years, but they take maintenance. It, the, the wood just begins to rot out. I don't care how many times you paint it, I don't care, but it's, it's temporary, it's never going to last. That's what's always interesting about traveling over to Europe. They have buildings over there that are older than our country. And that was just fascinating as, as we began to travel there to, uh, to realize that. And it was one of the things that I made a comment on one time when we were, I, I think we were in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. And uh, the, guy, <laughs> the guy that was walking around uh, doing some tra translating for us, he says, wait, you guys don't use stone? Well, generally not. You know, wood's plentiful. Wood's been plentiful for years. Uh, have you never read about the history of America, which... They hadn't. They they knew John Wayne and cowboy stuff, but that that was about. And I think because it wasn't because they read it, it's because they watched a movie or two or something like that. But uh, 
Wood is, is temporary, but very usable in most situations. It's buildable, and it can be very plain or very ornate. Do you know what king's eye maple is? Uh, and I don't have a piece to be able to uh, show you. Uh, bird, did I say king's eye? Bird's eye maple. Bird's eye maple uh, comes from a very special maple tree, and it's, it looks like all over it, little... Uh, little tiny eyes all over it. Very expensive wood. Uh, Pastor King, which you all know, uh, Pastor King has made a couple of hope chests for his uh, granddaughters out of that. Uh, to be able to find a large piece of bird's eye maple, it's just it's very difficult to be able to find anymore. We had some, the house that we lived in before we moved out to uh, Amro, uh, the house that we lived in, the whole, our whole ceiling was bird's eye maple. Just unbelievable. I, I wanted to take the ceiling with us when we moved just because it was so highly unusual to, to be able to have something like that. So the wood can be either plain or ornate. Uh, it can even smell good like the fir and the cedar. It can be preserved under right uh, conditions or it can become less valuable material such as wood, hay, and stubble. What kind of wood would you be that covers the foundation that you have spiritually? Uh, I, did like the, I, I did like my thought that it can even smell good. My wife smells good most of the time. Uh, uh, stick to the notes. <laughs> stick to the notes. Uh, that's why a firm foundation is so, is so important, because even with the fir and the cedar, which will last for an awful long period of time, especially when it's not out in the elements, but it's eventually going to corrupt. It's eventually going to wear down. It was very easy when the Romans and when the Babylonians and others came in and decided to raise to lower the city and set everything on fire. It was very easy to set it all on fire because it was so, such dry wood to be able to try and not hide, not try and hide the walls, but to decorate the walls. So the importance of the firm foundation. Then the third part is that we see is the gold that covered the walls. The oh, down here, picking up chapter six of First Kings, picking up uh, verse twenty in the oracle. In the four part, four part was twenty cubits in length and twenty cubits in breadth and twenty cubits in the height thereof, and he overlaid it with pure gold, and so covered the altar which was cedar. So he takes some perfectly good, preservable wood, and they put gold over the top of that. So Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold, and he made a partition by the, chain, uh, by the chains of gold before the oracle and overlaid it with, with uh, gold. Verse 22, And the whole house, the whole house, he overlaid with gold until he finished all the house. And as the... Also, the whole altar that was by the oracle, he overlaid with, with gold also. The gold, I look at that as something that, that's the visible outworking of our faith. We have our foundations, our teaching, our instruction, which we receive from the Bible, from our pastor, from our teachers that uh, teach us what, uh, uh, not what the Word of God says, but about the Word of God. And then we have the we have the wood. I kind of compare that to us. We're we're kind of temporary. We're, nobody's going to be around here forever. But uh, 
So we, we can look at the outward person and be able to see them. Some of us are plain. Some of us are ornate in the way that we dress. Some of us, as I already mentioned, smell good. But we're just temporary. We're only going to be here for a while. And it doesn't make any difference the country, the nation, the background, or whatever. God created us all the same but different to be able to look at. Uh, I, you know, there isn't anybody, even though several of you relate it, that ex- look exactly like somebody else. When Jeremy and Heather had the, uh, the twins, the, the boys came out. You could tell, well, you couldn't tell when they were first born, but, you know, you, they weren't identical at all. And uh, <laughs> our neighbor across the street, uh, one move ago, uh, she comes back and she says, uh, they've got twins over there, too. I never noticed twins until Jeremy and Heather had twins. She said, they've got twins too. And uh, she said, they've got a boy and a girl. And she gave me their names. And I said, are they identical? <laughs> and she said, I just said they had a boy and a girl. <laughs> okay. I learned that while I was in high school too. <laughs> so we have a firm foundation. We have the wood, the temporary, the outward look that we see. And eventually we go from, I don't know about you, I say eventually, not getting saved till 31. I went from a very scruffy outlook uh, appearance to when I got saved, my clothes changed. My attitude changed. My, my demeanor began to change that I wasn't the same person after, after being in church and in the Bible and, and uh, having the teaching and the preaching, I wasn't the same person five years later that I started out to be. That should be the spiritual growth that we see in everybody. We don't see it as much in, in children because they don't have great loads of sin. But there should be a change, especially if you're somebody's a, a teenager on up, we should be able to see the outward visible change in their demeanor. And then the, this has uh, got the gold over the top of it. That is the part that, okay, you tell me that you're saved. Your demeanor, your outward has changed some. But I'm going to continue to observe to see if you have works with your faith. Now, that gets to be just a little bit touchy because there are not works connected with faith but there are works connected with faith. You understand what I'm saying? We don't work for our salvation. We don't work to stay safe. But there's things that we should be involved in. Things that we should, should be able to do. At some point, you should be able to, if you've got a voice, join the choir. Is the choir limited by the number of chairs that are up here right now? Or could you add more chairs? So there's things that you can do. There's, uh, they're starting up the, uh, the Wednesday night club for the, for the young people. Uh, maybe they could use somebody that's a volunteer to just kind of make sure the things are neat and orderly and the children aren't, aren't creating chaos. Jo- Johnny, just sit there and be quiet. If you're good, we'll give you more candy like we did in Sunday school and then send you home again. Uh, there's, But you get saved and then what are you doing? What are you doing for the Lord? I have my pew. <laughs> Already, already talked to a couple people. We're not sitting in their normal places uh, the first Sunday that I was here. Uh, somebody sit in your spot? Well, as a matter of fact, somebody sat in my spot. We had one of those situations. We were uh, down in Milwaukee. And uh, uh, 
Hi, Pastor. I'll stay behind the pulpit. Okay. He, he's pastor's watching again tonight. We walked in. We always, Cheryl and I always sit near the front, even when the children traveled with us. And so, you know, we're about the third, fourth, fifth row. We never went farther back than five, unless you were in a Bible conference. Some of we were talking about that in the back of the church where, anyway, sidetrack. So I walk in. Set my Bible down. Cheryl sets her Bible down, and, and we're there just a little bit early. So we sat down, and this lady walks up, and she said, You're sitting in my spot. I said, It's a great spot, too. It's right near the front. The lights are right here. There's a ceiling fan. And she said, No, you are sitting in my spot. Oh, excuse me. I will scoot down. I, I don't like to sit in the center. I want an elbow rest. Is what I want the right side of the pew with the light, with the fan. It's easier for me to rest my elbow on there because I'm taking notes on the things that I'm, I'm listening to. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm in little, yeah, stick to the notes. <laughs> we'll never get to the DVD. The outward working of God. You tell me that you're saved, where is the fruit? Of your salvation. It doesn't mean you have to be the world's best soul winner. You just got saved. It doesn't mean you have to have all the questions and answers for the question. Mrs. Breyer got me tonight. I just came to church to have fellowship to give you a few good words from God. Brother Larry, I have a question. Well, actually, I have three questions. Call pastor. <laughs> I was able to answer two of them where we were both pretty satisfied with. The third one I had to think about for a while, and I gave her what I believe is the right answer, but uh, I'm going to go back and double-check myself anyway. But is there spiritual growth? I don't, I don't, I'm not saying everybody needs to show up in a three-piece suit, needs to show up in a... We're not, just, we're not looking at the outward appearance necessarily about the way that you're dressed, however that is somewhat, sometimes kind of a sign as to where things are going in your life and how things are going. But what is your service for the Lord? Uh, you can tell me that you're saved, but I, I want to bring forth some fruit meats for repentance that, that showed that, that something happened in your life. Uh, then it talks about the gold and the fine gold and the pure gold. Uh, I'm not really sure what the difference is in all that. I do know that they were able to refine gold just as they refined silver. So they were using the extra good stuff, as, as, I, as they would say. Uh, over in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 8, it talks about that they used 600 talents of fine gold. In today's money, we're talking about just over $1 billion of gold. A billion. When it talks about David had set aside, and I sat down one time with my calculator and, and got the day's prices of gold and silver. I figured out how much David himself had collected over the years as he was going to battle and conquering other people that he gave to Solomon to say, this, I've set this aside for the Lord's house. And then it talks about Solomon being not only the wise man, but he was very wealthy and very rich. And that was 
And it wasn't they, those two, you, they, they built the temple. Uh, no, it, and everybody else gave also. Just a, a billion dollars in today's, yeah, well, back then, a, you know, it wasn't really worth that much. I don't know, a Snickers bar is still a Snickers bar no matter where you buy it and what time of year you buy it and what, you know, uh, if you bought it in 1960 or you bought it in uh, 2020, which price of Snickers bars is going up like everything else. Stick to the notes, okay, stick to the notes. <laughs> Isaiah 13, 12 says, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. A good, godly man is valuable. That's where the other thought that I came up with this morning was exceeding magnificent. It's the only time that it's found in the Bible, but exceeding magnificent. He says he's going to make, he makes man uh, more precious than fine gold. First Peter 1 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. None of us like to go through trials and difficulties and testings, but he says, I'm doing that for your benefit. I'm trying to grow you along with everything that's going on with your life. Sometimes God will use a physical situation or a, as far as something going wrong with our body or a physical situation, maybe in a place of employment or whatever, to bring about, they say, wait a minute, I, I didn't sign up for this. I, this, was, this was completely unexpected. He may use the physical to get us to fo excuse me, focus on the spiritual. I mean, who, when do you spend more time in prayer? When something's not going quite so good or when everything's fine. Hey, it's good. It's good. We kind of talked about that just a little bit this morning in Sunday school. I think God allows those trials to grow us so that we will spend more time with him because you and I are not David the shepherd out there watching daddy's few sheep, as we looked at in Sunday school, and writing songs to the Lord. Most of us don't have that kind of time. Most of us, our brain doesn't work that way. Most of us, to, to be able to come up, to even for me to write poetry, is, it's a difficult thing, uh, so I don't. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue, you know, I borrow it from somebody else. But David had the time. Now there was a bear, and there was a lion, and there was some other things that took place, but David used his time wisely in writing songs, about the Lord. And that's why I think the Lord used him at a very young age as he, as he came up kind of, as we would say, through the ranks before he became king because his mind was focused. He prepared his life. He set himself aside for the Lord. Did he have shortcomings? Yes, we all have shortcomings, but that's why he never stayed in sin for any length of time because his heart convicted him because he walked with the Lord continually. The fine gold. And then uh, in chapter 6, verse uh, 38, chapter 6, verse... Uh, helps so we get in the right place. Chapter 6, verse 38. 
And in the 11th year, the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, was the house finished throughout all the parts thereof and according to all the fashion of it. So was he seven years in building. It takes time to grow spiritually. And to be quite honest, we should never stop growing. I don't know who's been saved in here longest. Uh, I know it's not me because I didn't get saved. Who's been saved for longer than 40 years? Raise your hand. Who's been saved longer than 50 years? 60 years? A couple of you still, still raise your hand. We should never stop growing. As you, as you, Debbie, as you read your Bible, as you come along, do you still see things in the Bible that you say, it's like the first time I've ever seen this? Even, even when she lives with the pastor, she, she sees stuff in her Bible because we're in the Bible to be able to grow spiritually, to establish that, that walk with the Lord. It takes time. It takes time to grow and build something usable. Do not be impatient with a new Christian. And new Christian, do not get impatient with yourself or the pastor. The pastor's been doing this job, job, doing this ministry for years. You sit there, you just got saved, and uh, you're not even freshened up yet. And uh, all of a sudden, you have all the answers to what's going on. Just relax. Take a deep breath. Relax. Keep reading your Bible. Keep coming to church. And you will continue to grow, grow, grow. But sometimes in young people in particular, they, they get saved and all of a sudden they've got all the answers. You've been in church for a year. How much Bible do you really have to base your decisions that you're making on? How much Bible do you really have to be able to understand some doctrine that takes some real thinking? As I mentioned, reading through the book of Romans is like, oh man, this is some really heavy stuff compared to reading through the Psalms where you can read through it. Now, the Psalms have got some deep stuff in it. It's got some very inner, but it's a lot easier for me to read Psalms and get something out of it than I have to stop and think when I'm in Romans. I have to stop and think. I'm still trying to think my way through Ezekiel. I've, I grabbed a commentary off a pastor's, uh, off a pastor's shelf last time we were here in January. Just a, what in the world is this chapter talking about here? Uh, but that's part of you growing yourself, as it talks about there in the end of the book of Jude. It takes time. Stay in your Bible. Uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 7. Chapter six, we're bouncing back. Chapter 6 and verse 7. And the house, when it was, was in building, was built of stone, made ready before it was brought thither. So that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron herd in the house while it was building. I compare that to the working of the Holy Spirit. The quiet working of the Holy Spirit in our life when we're reading our Bible, when pastor's preaching, when we're, we're, having, we're, we're, we're learning some new things. As the, Lord, as the Holy Spirit convicts us about things that he doesn't shout. He, it talks so Jesus said when he comes, he will, will basically point to me uh, of the things that I was trying to teach and to try and, try and bring out. He will not speak of himself. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that puts us under conviction if we're paying attention. And it's a quiet work. I've had the Holy Spirit work in my life in the midst of a, in, in, in the midst of a, just a Sunday night service. I've had the Holy Spirit work in my life in a, one of those meetings down south where they were all having a good time and I'm just trying to hang on to my chair and <laughs> not go for the ride myself also. But I've had the Holy Spirit speak to me very quietly in that still small voice in the middle of the night or as I sat there and read my Bible, as I mentioned earlier, as, as uh, I've been out praying and mowing the lawn, the Holy Spirit will do his quiet office work if we let him. It takes time. Chapter 8 and verse 10, we will uh, finish up with this. Chapter 8 and verse 10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. What kind of material are you building your temple with? Wood, hay, and stubble or the gold, silver, and precious stones? Where are you in the scale of life? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Are you continuing to build your temple or now that you've reached the uh, upper 60s and the 70s and, and whatever, that you just say, okay, um, I'm good. I'm just waiting for the Lord to come and come back and get me. No, it's not time to quit. If, if, if we're still here, nine times out of ten, there's still something for us to do. Whether it be pray, whether it be a source of encouragement, whether to bake a batch of cookies and to take to a shut-in, there's things for us to do, even when we get up into our senior years, that we can be a blessing to the church family. We can be a blessing to our neighbors. We can use that as an outreach. Uh, I, I, I love the idea that, uh, was it last year? Was it, when was the first time you had the uh, evening of thanks? That, when was that? Was that before COVID or... Anyway, I thought that was an excellent idea. Uh, went back and talked to a pastor about that. And he says, oh, are you going to head that up? <laughs> well, pastor, I travel a lot. I, you know, was just, I was just saying it was a good idea that you might think about that. The, the, second e the, the, the other easy situation that I have seen, we have a church in Wisconsin that's uh, south of Milwaukee, and they have a special Veterans Day thing. And so... All the guys, you've got a, they've got a, just a little card that, uh, that they pass out, a, a little bit smaller than a track. And they'll, you can see somebody, and you're standing in line in the grocery, and there's a guy standing there and say, uh, have you ever been in the military? And it's either a yes or no question. And if they say, say yes, then they hand them a card and say, we're having a special meal. Uh, two weeks from now on a Saturday night, we'd like to have you come. Uh, we're going to honor all those that have been involved in the military. The first time this church did this, and they're not in a big town. The first time the church did this, they had 20, people, 20 men show up. And then it dawned on them, we should, probably should have told them to bring their wives. Because the whole reason for it is not only to thank them for their service, but to give them the gospel. Who's generally more spiritually tender, a man or a woman? Generally, the women are. 
And so after the first year, they said, we need to adjust this. And so uh, it was a couple years ago, they, they asked if I would come down and, and speak to this. So I was able to give part of my testimony, but how God had worked in my life. Second easiest situation I've ever heard of. A night, excuse me, an evening, not a night of Thanksgiving, an evening of Thanksgiving. I didn't see the card. Is it evening of thanks or Thanksgiving? There's even something up here. Gratitude. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we have called it everything but what it is, I think, this last couple of this last couple. It's our opportunity to let some of the gold shine out to the community. Freedom Baptist Church is not just for us, it's for y'all. And uh, we have a special service we didn't like to invite you to. Most people, doesn't sound good, most people do not want to come out for anything other than Christmas and Easter. And so we're not trying to trick them. We're trying to find something that they will be interested in coming out to. The Pastor King has probably mentioned it. The best thing that we have going on and have had for the last almost 20 years now is the men's stake and shoot that we have at Wildwood Baptist Church, uh, which is where your idea for the Beast Feast came about, which I've not had an invitation to that probably in about four years now, but uh, that's beside the point. Anyway, we have had more people probably saved in, in uh, Bob Sturtz's barn than we've had it saved at church in the last five years. Because the men coming to church, I'm not really into that. Guns and steak? Oh, yeah. I'll show up for that. And so we've had the opportunity. Ever, the, the last three years that we've had it, we've had a minimum of five men saved to be able to come out, uh, that have come out and heard the gospel. Did they really get saved? Some of them are in church. Yes, they really got saved. Let the gold shine out. Not just here because you're singing in the choir. You're playing the violin. Thank you. Thank you for your special tonight. I enjoyed the, the children's choir that we had the, the other day. Use your talents and your abilities. Develop them so that you can be continue to be used, not just in the church for all of us that are in here, but to have some kind of an outreach out, uh, out in the community. What are you building your temple with. Father, I thank you for this time you've given to us to kind of finish up this thought about being exceeding magnifical where there was no stone seen whatsoever. Lord, would you continue to grow us? Lord, would you continue to help us? Lord, would you bless this uh, evening of gratitude that we would see uh, people come out, people that will be interested maybe not overly interested in church, but the people that would be interested in, I can really, I'm a, I'm a friend, I've been a blessing, I've been an encouragement to you? Yes. And we'd like to give you a big pat on the back and a thank you. And by the way, did you know that Jesus Christ died for you to pay for your sins and our sins? And, and uh, we'd like to invite you back for the Sunday, Sunday service and uh, to give you, teach you some more of the Bible and what the Bible says. Lord, I thank you for the attentiveness of the folks this last uh, 
couple hours as we uh, this morning and then this evening as we've gone through this. Lord, would you cause us to examine ourselves to see where we are on our temple building. Father, would you continue to use your Holy Spirit to convict us and to grow us, to give us understanding of your word. In Christ's name, I pray. Uh, Y'all are up here like we're actually going to have an invitation. (laughs) We're good. If you would jump back there. It's not really. Well, you're up here. You're up here. Let's sing a song. If somebody would like to come to the altar, it's not necessarily a, a message for, okay, y'all come up and you know commit, recommit yourselves to the Lord or something like that. But the Lord spoke to your heart uh, this morning or this evening about some of the things that were talked about, uh, one of the Bible verses or whatever. As we're standing to, to sing a couple of verses, uh, come and spend some time with the Lord and say, Lord, here's my life. Here's, my, here, here's where you spoke to me. Would, would you bring, help me to bring forth some fruit? Would you help me to get some gold on the outside to show that uh, you really are working on the inside? 322, 322, living for Jesus. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, this is the pathway of blessing for me, O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to For thou in thy atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master, my heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. who died in my place, bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace, such love <coughs> me to answer his call, follow his leading, and shall be thy throne my life I give henceforth to live O Christ for thee alone if you want to grab it uh, do you have the y'all may be seated or 
or you can be dismissed if you don't want to watch the uh, something about creation. Do you have the cover for the DVD? Uh, several people. The downside of it is it's excellent material. The downside of it is uh, it's not King James, which anybody was really paying for. Uh, I never really looked up to see what verses that they used. But uh, it gives uh, it gives anybody, save your loss, it's going to give them some good information uh, about creation and God's concern and love for them. The other thing that I like about this is it's been a very useful tool to be able to give to somebody that you want to witness to because it's something that they can watch in their house and they will have questions. They will have questions. Last week we looked at, uh, what did we look at? We, we looked at uh, birds and butterflies. Wasn't it birds and, just birds and butterflies? Uh, tonight we're going to, the, I, there's, I picked out three clips. Uh, we'll, we'll look at snow, flowers, and fish. The total of all three of those little clips is about 14 minutes, so it's not real long. The other thing that I like about it, this is, it's called, the wonders of God, and I'll I'll have that uh, I'll have that back uh, in the back. You can order it off the internet. I think the last time I bought a couple of them, they were like ten dollars a piece, and so it's a very good, like I said, kind of an evangelistic tool, or at least start a conversation. And it's translated into I've never even counted the languages up: English, Arabic, Farsi, French, Hindu, Mandarin, uh, Punjab, and Spanish. And then there's uh, which is dubbed into those languages, and then subtitle English, Chinese, simplified, traditional, Danish, Dutch, German, can't even pronounce that one, Hebrew, Indonesian, Japanese, Korean, Polish, Romanian, Russian, Serbian, Slovakian, Spanish, Swahili, Tagalog, Thai, Turkish, and Vietnamese. So it's something that you can use uh, in to, for anybody, no matter pretty much what country they're coming from, that it at least will be in a second language, uh, second language for them. So snow, flowers, and fish. Thousands of years ago, God asked Job, have you entered the treasury of snow? Now, no man living at that time could have known fully about the treasures of the snow. But with the advent of the microscope, these elaborate crystals can now be wholly appreciated. These are actual snow crystals that have reached Earth intact. Snow crystals form in the clouds where water vapor condenses and crystallizes into ice. As the crystals grow, these remarkable patterns emerge. Complex, symmetrical, and beautiful. They are breathtaking to behold. In contrast, Man-made snow has none of the elaborate structure found in snow crystals. Snow crystals are made out of amazing water molecules. Each oxygen atom has a little bit of negative charge, and it holds on to two hydrogen atoms that have a little positive charge, 
and it holds them 104 and a half degrees apart. When you reach the freezing point, suddenly they reach a point where the electrical attraction of plus and minus charges can pull them together. That's the energy source. And then that shape God gave the water molecules, they line up to form those beautiful uh, crystals, each one unique, each one a reflection of God's creativity. Every day, trillions of God's transparent treasures fall to earth for our discovery and joy. And yet, no two are exactly alike. I believe that God built this hexagonal shape into the individual water molecule because of the way they have to fit together they form this hexagonal shape as they add on molecules and grow outward. And each individual ice crystal is made up of literally millions of water molecules. And although they fit together in a particular way, as they grow outward, the ice crystals falling down through the cloud at different temperatures, they begin to get different shapes. So every ice crystal is going to be slightly different than every other one. Each crystal is built on a hexagonal pattern and exhibits a marvelous symmetry of design. Truly, there is a treasury of snow, just as God declared 4,000 years ago. There's two things about ice crystals that just really excite me. One is literally the beauty. You look at them and you see all these patterns with these flat faces and the, and the, the structure that's there. There's over a hundred different basic types of ice crystals. It's just the beauty of it. And that tells me something about God. It tells me that God loves beauty and he loves me because he provided this beauty to look at. So it resonates with me. The other is the way in which the ice crystals are ordered, the way in which the individual molecules fit together. That fits a particular consistent pattern time and time again, tells me that God has designed it. There is also a spiritual application. As each snow crystal is distinctly patterned, so each human, each soul is unique and of special concern to our Lord. As God's creative hand forms ice crystals with loving care, so too he intends to form each person to reflect his glory. Compared to the rest of creation, snow crystals are simple, yet the great architect's attention, even to the countless snow crystals he forms each day, is an unmistakable mark of his care. God has built into not only ice crystals, all kinds of other molecules, all kinds of systems, relationships and processes that we don't even begin to fathom yet today. That's one of the reasons I'm a scientist. I love trying to find out how things function, how they operate and apply mathematical equations to them because I feel like I'm touching the face of God if you wish. harvest of blessings for mankind. What a drab world it would be without flowering plants. 
from unassuming seed to magnificent blossom, flowers reflect a sliver of God's splendor. There are a great variety of flowering plants flourishing all over the globe, and each with its own unique flower, fruit, and fragrance. As a blossom expands, its fragrance fills the air. Consider that each flower always produces its own particular perfume. Even more amazing, God uses the same elements, soil, light, and water, to produce all these brilliant varieties. Remarkably, certain flowers are designed to know what time it is. California poppies, morning glories, and daylilies are three beautiful examples. Opening and closing with clock-like precision, they are sensitive to atmospheric pressure, length of daylight, temperature, and humidity, and must therefore have built-in biorhythms. Each leaf of a plant is also a marvel. Long before man discovered how to harness solar power, the Creator installed miniature solar panels in every green leaf. As the leaf expands, it is programmed to face the sun to receive its energy. This energy powers its chemical factories. As a result, carbon dioxide is absorbed, oxygen is released, and hydrogen is used in making sugars. How ingenious of our God to design leaves to absorb man's waste gas and release the oxygen which every creature needs for survival. Photosynthesis is also the basis for all our food supply. Thankfully, countless numbers of God's little green machines perform this service every day. Flowering plants are such a testimony to God's provision. Not only are they critical in terms of providing food and medicine and various other aspects of life as we know it, but we would simply not be able to exist without the flowering plants. Well, that ties in with the large group of animals called the arthropods. One of the groups of arthropods would be the insects. Insects need the plants, and plants most assuredly need the insects in terms of pollination, in terms of keeping the plants fertilized on a year-to-year -year basis. Uh, Genesis 2.9 tells us that God created uh, green plants pleasant to the sight and good for food. Uh, plants use the amazing process of photosynthesis to trap energy from the sun, to put together carbon dioxide molecules from the air, water molecules from the soil, uh, to make sugar molecules a basic uh, building block for all of the other food groups. Where do the plants get the carbon dioxide? We breathe it out. Animals breathe out the carbon dioxide. Plants absorb that carbon dioxide. Uh, they absorb the water. They release oxygen from the water molecules so we can breathe it in, burn the sugar to produce the carbon dioxide that they can absorb to make more sugar. You may get the idea all of these parts have to fit together at the same time. That's one thing as we look at the creation account, how God made plants, animals, people, all the physical features of the universe to fit together in an intricate pattern reflecting his glory. Food, oxygen, medicine, fuel, raw materials. Surely the Lord designed plants for our benefit. The rich diversity of flowering plants and the many purposes they serve all point to a wise and compassionate creator. Though magnificent in bloom, the glory of the flower quickly fades. 
Scripture likens man's life on earth to a flower, so quick to pass away. Therefore, how important it is for each of us to seek everlasting life today. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth. So God created every living thing that moves, and God saw that it was good. In the book of Genesis, we read that God created everything to be very good. And though sin has since injured creation, the fish, the birds, and all creatures still testify to God's goodness and wisdom. We'll now turn our attention to the Lord's incredible creatures. Living in the waters of the world are creatures more magnificent than mankind could ever imagine. The enormous assortment of ocean dwellers speaks of the unlimited ingenuity of our great creator. And each sea creature has been designed with remarkable functionality. God equipped the octopus with a form of jet propulsion, suction cup technology, and self-adjusting camouflage far superior to any man-made design. Watch as this giant octopus morphs into a rock with algae. Its color, shape, and texture are all transformed in an instant. The squid on the left is a male. He shows a brownish-red courtship pattern toward the female, while simultaneously showing a white fighting pattern on his opposite side to ward off rival males. As he switches sides, his markings actually flip. Dual simultaneous signaling demonstrates God's engineering supremacy. Underwater symbiotic relationships reveal perfect foresight in design planning. Sea anemones are poisonous, yet God has enabled certain fish to safely cohabitate in their environment. For example, clownfish are designed with an immunity to the anemone's poison. This could not have been inherited, as prior generations would have been killed and gone extinct before evolving a beneficial immunity. The schooling pattern of certain fish is still being researched. The ability for fish to dart with synchronized movements reveals the guiding hand of a grand conductor. Different species of fish have been relegated to dwell at specific levels of the ocean depths. This capability is the result of a specially designed air bladder, which secretes gases from the bloodstream, regulating the pressure, maintaining equilibrium allowing the fish to survive at various water pressures within a range determined by the creator. One of my absolutely favorite sea creatures is the pearly nautilus or the chambered nautilus. Here's a shell like you might find in the floor of the shell shop. And when you cut these down the middle, woo, look at that, all these little chambers inside. Uh, the animal that lives in the last chamber here is essentially a squid. It has lots of little tentacles coming out the front like that. All these little chambers enable it to regulate its buoyancy like a submarine does. 
inside that amazing squid, uh, there's a brain. There's an eye that sees the world like we do. Uh, there's a digestive system with salivary glands and a pancreas gland. They have three different hearts. They're as complex inside as we are. And yet, uh, fossils of this kind of creature are among the first to be found. Initial complexity, a marvelous testimony to God's creativity. When I look at the sea creatures that God has created, I look in particular to the fish. They are amazing creatures, starting with their streamlined efficiency, the fact that they are designed to extract oxygen from the water in such an efficient manner, the fact that they have such a pleasing aesthetic values, and also, of course, the great quantities of food they provide for man. Fish have always been fish, according to the fossil record. Yes, fish certainly are an incredible feature of God's living creation. The obvious sophistication, variety, and beauty of sea creatures shout out a master artist created all things for his good pleasure. Well, Aaron, we'll have the uh, have the cover back there if you want to take a look at it. It's it's worth ten or twelve dollars to be able to. Uh, okay, tonight for devotions, we're going to read our Bible, and then we're going to watch part of a DVD, and then you 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 watch about uh, ten minutes of it. You shut up and say, "Oh, tomorrow," <laughs> and you kind of kind of leave the leave the kids and the grandkids hanging. So just a suggestion, something that we found that uh, we have enjoyed. And like I said, it's in several different languages. So thank you for coming. Thank you for the donuts. Y'all can really s slow up on those, on those donuts. Uh, I think Pastor and I are putting uh, pounds on just as we sit there in the chair. And uh, see you all Wednesday night. <laughs>